Welcome into the DNVR Avalanche podcast. You got Rudo, you got AJ. We're joined by Chris Peters today to talk all things NHL draft and, of course, through an Avalanche lens. Chris, first of all, thank you for coming on and joining us. I think everyone knows the top of this draft class is something pretty special here, but how do you rank out the rest of the first round? How solid is this year? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be with you. Um, you know, I, I think I would say in terms of depth of the first round it's pretty similar to a lot of drafts where you don't see there there's not a ton of separation between the back half of the first round or maybe the maybe like 25 on to you know midway through the second i think it's a good range to be in there's a lot of good prospects there is some you know some value to be had late in the first round early in the second round you know so that's that's a good thing you know i think that this was a year that most teams wanted to be in the first round. They wanted to have a, a, a way in there and to have a first round pick is, is never a bad thing. So, you know, I think there's certainly some possibilities with what's going to be available late in the first round. And then also, you know, not that it's going to matter to the abs since they don't have very many picks in the middle range of the draft. You know, I think there's, there's going to be some good value there as well, but yeah, it's, it's a, been a fun year to track. Obviously, the top of the draft makes it a lot more fun when you've got guys like Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli and, and stuff like that. But I think even as you move further down the board, you're going to see a lot more guys that, that have good careers. I am I am curious. If you were Pat Verbeek, you've got the second pick. Are you taking Fantilli or do you dream on Mitchkov? Ha, yeah, you know, I think it's it's an interesting discussion. I think every, any team that's picking after one has to have it, right? I think you have to discuss like, hey, Matthew Mitchkov is a, is an unbelievable talent. Coming into the season, we were talking about him in the same vein as as Connor Bedard, and you know what 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 would we have done if he was in? Let's say he was in the CHL this year. He wouldn't have been, but let's say he was, and he's like, just what kind of numbers would he have put up in that league? I mean, he's just an exceptional offensive talent. But I think if you're the Ducks and you're kind of in a position now where you've got a young core together, you, you still want to continue to build out the middle of your lineup. You know, you if you do draft an Adam Fantilli or even a Leo Carlson, you know, you are you know giving yourself an opportunity to have a little bit more flexibility with where you put Trevor Zegers in your lineup. And, and you know, if he's if he is going to be a center full time, as he has been, or if you move him to the wing or other things like that, you've got Mason McTavish as well. But, you know, I think in terms of stylistic fits, it's going to be really hard for Pat Verbeek to pass up on Adam Fantilli, who has the size, the speed. You know, I, do I think Mitchkov has a higher ceiling? I do. I do. I think the offensive game that he has is is immense and enormous. But what I think with the risk factor and everything else, I think that Fantilli is the safer option, but I also think he fits with what they're doing and where they're going. And I think that that's the value that you can get out of an Adam Fantilli pick probably allows you to pass on the risk of a Mitch Cobb, though it is an interesting discussion to have. How how far down the draft board does the risk reward, or I should say the reward start to seriously outweigh the risk? I mean, I, for me, it would start at four, like at the, you know, I think that both fan, you know, Fantilli Carlson, you know, big players that have value down the middle, highly intelligent, you know, skilled, you know, that's tough to pass on. And so, but I think if you're, you know, starting right there at four, you know, if you're the San Jose Sharks, if you are the Montreal Canadiens, if you are the Arizona Coyotes, if you are the Philadelphia Flyers, you know, teams like that in that range, 
he's the best player available at that point. And I think he's the best player by a significant margin eventually there. And, and certainly in terms of ceiling, it's super high. So, you know, I don't think he'll get out of the top 10, but it, I would not be shocked if he fell out of the top five, because I think that the value of the guys that are available within the five, first five, six, seven picks allow you to kind of say, okay, we're still going to get a great player. And now we don't have to worry about this. And and I don't think the contract is as big of a problem for Mitchkov. I don't think that the, you know, the, the, the geopolitical situation is absolutely a factor and will be taken into consideration. You know, also, I think that this is a decision that is going to reach the highest levels of every organization that's considering it. You know, I think there's absolutely going to be some owners out there as like, do we really want to do this? Do we really want to take this on and, and take this risk? But to me, you know, I think he's no worse than the third best player in this draft. He might even be the second best player in the draft based on his offensive toolkit. But because he's not an amazing skater, because he's on the smaller side, you can at least say there's there's other ways to justify not taking him, I suppose. But yeah, but for me, it starts very early. And I think that, you know, once you're outside of those first three picks, if you're San Jose, the balance that you have to kind of think about, you know, he's he's such a special player that sometimes, yeah, the, the reward opportunity there is is significant. Could we see some other wingers jump ahead of Mitchkov because of that? Obviously, you have the centers, Fantilli, Carlson, Bedard, maybe even a Will Smith in there. But could we see someone like a Ryan Leonard jump ahead of him? I think it's possible. I, I do. I think it's possible for a Leonard for, you know, maybe less likely for a Zach Benson. But I think that, yeah, there's a chance that that a Ryan Leonard would, would move ahead because he's a guy that I think NHL teams are very high on. Also not tall, but he's thick. He's strong. He's got some power elements in his game. He's a good skater. He scored 50 goals this year. So he checks a lot of boxes for a lot of teams and he has that physical element. So you know, there's a good chance it could be him. You know, Benson is a highly competitive individual. He's really good off the puck as well as on the puck, but he's a smaller player with below average skating. So, you know, those are kind of the, the questions you got to decide on. But and, and why for me, if, you know, I'm not the one that has to make these multi-million dollar decisions, but I, you know, watch the players, you know, I think the gap between Mitchkov and, and guys like Smith, Leonard and Benson is pretty significant. So, you know, that's, that's where things are going to get interesting. I do find it interesting the... Oh, we have to wait three years for him where, you know, we just saw Logan Cooley decided to go back to school, right? Mm -hmm. Arizona will end up waiting at least two years for Cooley to make his pro debut. Correct. And so you're looking at, and, and when you talk about guys like Will Smith and Ryan Leonard, uh, Zach Benson, what are, like, what are the chances the team ends up waiting two years on those cats anyway? And, right. and it ends up being a pretty, like the one extra year to get a significantly lower ceiling on a prospect than Mitchkov? Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. And it's certainly one that I've heard from NHL people as well is that, hey, you know what? Honestly, we might be losing a year at most out of out of him because, you know, that third year, he's not a guy that would have come into the NHL next season. He's not a guy that probably would have come into the, the NHL the season after that. He's got too much physical development left to go before he's ready for that. And so basically you're getting three years of free development. Yes, there's the threat of him signing an extension. There's a, the threat of whatever's going on in the geopolitical landscape that could that nobody has any control over here, in, at least in, the ho in hockey terms. And that could blow things up a little bit for you. And all of a sudden that, that's the tough pick is that, wow, that's the risk you run. But, you know, if I don't think the contract situation is scaring teams, I also think that there's a large feeling that Mitchkov's desire is not to continue in the KHL, but to come to the NHL. 
after his contract is up and after his obligations are fulfilled. Getting him out of the contract early is certainly something I think teams are exploring, but it does not sound an especially likely scenario. We did see it with Ivan Moroshnashenko, who just signed with Washington and was able to get out of his contract with Omsk. But Scott St. Petersburg is a totally different ball of wax. They are the most powerful European club. They are the richest European club. They don't let people out of their contracts. And not only that, but Mitchkov is a very important player for Russia in general. That's the other thing that I think people are considering is like, he's kind of a net, he's a national star in Russia and he has a lot of value to the KHL and to the team and to, you know, everything. So that's, that's not a small thing either, but I still think that the best Russian players and we're, we're still seeing it. Russian players are signing contracts. They're coming over when their KHL contract is done. They're on their way here. You know, Nikita Chibrikov signed with Winnipeg, you know, so it's like, that's not, you know, guys like when you see that, when you see that, you know, Buffalo has been able to sign their guys, then it's not, it's not as big of a concern because I think that most of the best Russian players still want to play in the NHL. And that's a huge benefit to, to teams. And I think that's what they'll be talking about with Mitchkov. And I know I want to start this with Mitchkov, but that, that Russian factor does feel exacerbated this year. There's a couple of other first round prospects in Simashev and Guliev that are going to be intriguing, especially in a class that does not offer up a ton of strength at defensemen. Yeah. Do you where where in the first round do you think that those two guys start to make sense? If if in the first round at all? Yeah, you know, I I think I think Semeshev is certainly one of the guys that will get a, a strong consideration because of the size, the mobility, um, you know, his defensive capabilities. But he's not a very okay. offensive, you know, gift not offensively gifted. So sometimes those guys don't go in the first round anyway. Guliaev is uh, mobile, dynamic very skilled, you know, and, and makes a lot of good plays. And I think that he's going to be, you know, uh, an interesting player to track, but I, I think that there's a good chance that we'll see those players go after 20, um, you know, and that's, that's probably, you know, you're starting to say, okay, well, where, where can they go? Cause the other thing that happens too, is with the Russian players, where you draft them kind of tells them what you think about them. Right. And, and that's, that's the amount of investment you're willing to put into them. Like, I mean, we, we didn't see Kirill Kaprizov for years. You know, we didn't see Shesterkin and it, those guys for years because they're mid-round picks. They weren't guaranteed anything. You know, there's nothing, whereas a first-round pick is guaranteed an awful lot. Um, but I do think that there are a lot of teams that are very on, on to those guys. Daniel Boot is another one that is going to get significant interest as a first-round draft pick, a six-foot-five forward that can score. Um, you know, so that's another that's another um, element. But yeah, so I, I think that, you know, the back half of the first round is where we'll see those guys go. I know it's a pretty big range, but that's three players that you're looking to potentially go in the first round with a significant risk factor attached to them. Um, so, yeah, so I, that, I, I would anticipate that those guys go a little bit later They're They're not as easily projectable as a Mitch Cobb is, um, you know, and not not that Mitch Cobb is a sure thing by any means because of the size and skating, but. Um, but I do think that they've got a lot of uh, capabilities there. You know, when, Over... when you're talking about getting a potential superstar, it's pretty easy <laughs> yeah. to talk yourself into. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And whereas, you know, we might get a top four guy. We might get a fifth defenseman. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like you don't you don't start, yeah, doing those well, gymnastics. 
I wanted to expand on that defense beyond just Russia there. One, do you think Reinbacher sneaks into the top 10? And then two, how many defensemen realistically could go in the first this year? Yeah, I think it's pretty likely that that Reinbacher goes in the top 10. I think there are enough teams there that that have some needs at the defensive position. I mean, I've, I, I'm i interested to see what Arizona does with 6 and 12. Um, you know, having that, maybe you reach for the defenseman with the sixth pick, and then you still get a quality forward at 12. Um, or maybe you do it the exact opposite way and take whichever defenseman's left at 12. Um, there's a lot of different things that can happen, but I think Reinbacher was as a, as a big right shot with mobility and, and, and good puck moving skills and, and good production at a pro level in Europe, he is going to be, um, a pretty easily projectable, not, you know, again, when I say easily projectable, it's all relative. It's, you yeah. know, it's relative within draft terms, like what they, what they're actually able to do. So. Um, but yeah, but I mean, I think that he's, he's got a lot of the tools that you look for in a, in a top four defenseman. I think he's one of the few defensemen in this class that has, you know, an outside chance of being a top pairing defenseman. Um, and those are, you know, I think if you can get a guy that is going to play on your blue line, 18 to 20 minutes a night, um, you're going to, you know, you're going to be happy with that pick in, in a, in a high range. Um, so I do think that will, will happen in terms of the overall defenseman, you know, I think that we'll probably see a lower number than usual. Um, you know, I think it'll be a combination of, um, Axel, you know, Axel Sandin Pelica, um, Tim Vlander. you know, there's the potential, maybe Theo Lindstein sneaks in there. I think you, you know, Simashev and Gulyayev have a chance to go in there. Um, uh, bon Oliver Bonk with, with a really good chance. Maybe Lucas Dragasevic sneaks in there too. Um, but there are a lot of, defensemen that I would say have a lot of questions coming into this draft of like, you know, you've got Dragosevic who had, you know, over 70 points this season from the blue line, but is not the best defensively and doesn't have the best detail in his game. And it's like, you know, is he too one dimensional? Um, but, you know, then there are other guys like Tanner Molendyke who don't necessarily have the size, but have this mobility and, you know, that, that, that might speak to a team and he's got it, you know, he didn't necessarily put up the big enough numbers this year to kind of overlook the size, but yeah, I think, you know, we five or fewer is, is a realistic possibility here in the first round. And you know, I'll be very interested to see how it all shakes out. And I think that where Mitchkov goes is also another thing that is, uh, is pretty, you know, that's going to dictate a lot of the order of things and where things end up. So I, I'm fascinated to see how this first round goes. Do want to get into the Avs pick a little bit here, but first we are brought to you by Shady Rays. You can go get your sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. Use code DNVR right now and you get 35% off any pair of sunglasses for Memorial Day weekend. So go check that out. Get your Shady Rays today, uh, either ShadyRays.com or if you're local here in Colorado, they have a brick and mortar in the Park Meadows Mall. And then wherever you are, you can go get yourself Fubo TV to watch television. It's just like having cable go to fubotv.com slash dnvr today and you'll get all of your channels over 140 channels there they got sports they got television they got movies they got it all for you uh with the dnvr link you get 15 percent off your first month of fubo tv pro so go check them out today get it right on your tv you open up the app you're watching television check them out fubo tv Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I know AJ's been chomping at the bit for this one. Uh, you mentioned it. The Avs don't have any mid-round picks. Can they talk themselves into a goalie at the end of the first round? 
I mean, you know, yeah, because of the fact that they don't have all those picks, I guess it's possible. Um, you know, I think that there are some really good goaltenders in this draft, guys that will go, you know, probably in the second round. Um, and, you know, you look at the various goalies that are out there, none of them are perfect. And that's, you're never going to find that. Um, I think the other thing is too, like, it, it's so hard to find a, for a starting goalie in the first round. Like it happens, obviously you get guys like Andre Vasilevsky, Jake Ottinger. I mean, like it, it absolutely happens, but you know, then some suddenly Aiden Hill takes you to the, you know, the, the, the championship, you know, the, the Eastern conference or the Western conference final and on the cusp of a, a Stanley cup, you know, like, so, or a Stanley cup final, like that's, that's the way it goes. You know, you find a Darcy Kemper, you're, you're in free agency, you find guys that can fill the position. And I think because of the variety of ways that you can find a starting goaltender, it's become less likely that you pick them, but let's just say, for instance, let's just, you know, play along here and say, okay, well, are there any goalies that you could realistically pick in the first round this year, especially given the fact that you don't have any picks till way later in the draft. I would say that, it, you know, if I'm going to use that pick, I'm probably going to take a bit of a swing. I'm probably going to take a bit of a swing on a guy that I think has a lot of upside, a lot of, um, you know, there, there are tools there. And to me, that guy is Michael Haravel. He is uh, the goaltender for the Omaha Lancers this year. They weren't a good team. His numbers don't look amazing, but I, I watched him quite a bit this year. And he is, he has a lot of the technical tools that you want. He has the size at six foot six. He has the athleticism. Um, and he's competitive. And, you know, I saw some of his best games this season and his best games are, are exceptional. And then you put that in the, the, the size package that he has and you say, okay, well, he's, he's due to go to Omaha for one more season and then to UMass. We'll see if that's the plan and if it stays that way. But Harabal is, you know, a legitimate top tier goalie in this class. I still think there will probably be goalies later in the draft too. But if you want to get one of the top guys, I think that run is going to start in the second round. The abs could potentially kick it off at 28th overall. But that's the guy with the upside to me. You know, I think Carson Bjarnason is good, not amazing. Uh, you know, he didn't have a great world under 18s. Um, you know, I think that he's been okay at various points this season. You know, Trey Augustine is, is it was really good this year for Team USA. Adam Guyan for who played for the Chippewa Steel in the North American League and was Slovakia's incredible goalie at the World Juniors. You know, those are the types of guys that are going to be in this discussion to potentially go in the second round. Jacob Fowler as well just won a Clark Cup with the Youngstown Phantoms. Those are the top tier goalies that everybody's going to be kind of looking at. Um, it's not an amazing year for European goaltenders, uh, even though Parabol and Guyan both are, but they played in North America. So I'm just mean goalies that are playing in in Europe. Um, but yeah, so it's an exciting class. And I think, you know, to me, the only guy that, that I would even consider taking at that range would be Harabal. Celebrating <laughs> over there, AJ. <laughs> I mean, I would be okay with that. <laughs> the, the pretty tepid response. I mean, that's the guy that I, that. that was, that was the yeah, dart that yeah. I threw in my, my prediction piece in January. So I'm just trying to get as many of those right as I can. Cause it looks like some of those are real You're bad. Up to like three of them. Correct. At this point. Yeah, I think I, it's, I think it's actually like five, but well, it's not that bad. Yeah. We got to see who the ducks hire as the head coach and who the abs draft. And then that's the last of my chances. <laughs> Seven. Anyway, out of anyway. What, 20. That wouldn't be terrible. That's what I'm saying. Um, but no, the, um, 
I do I do wonder just what their approach is and and how having that one pick it's it's just on an island like you know is it is it more valuable to them in trade or is it more valuable to them to take a guy and try and develop and if you are going to take a guy I mean we talked we were just talking about the defense positionally it's a lot easier for them to find forward I mean they've been going crazy in the forward market with college free agents the last couple of years you know, with yeah. uh, winning the Ben Meyer sweepstakes and uh, signing Jason Poland and Andre Pavel. Yeah, they were they oh. were aggressive. They've been aggressive on that front, but that's what you have to do, right? That's what you right. have to do. And um, when you just don't have picks, and I mean, I, I liked what they've done the last couple of years on the free agency front. And that's where that's where that's that's where they are making up ground on picks that they did not have the last right. couple of years. Right. Um, and I think that that's a an interesting an interesting way to build a, a prospect pipeline because um, you know you're not going to get very many NHLers out of undrafted college free agents. But right. Right. If you can if you can fill out, I mean, everybody's favorite example in Colorado is Logan O'Connor. Yeah. So you know that's if if they can just continue to find some guys that can give them depth roles for free like that, it's fine. Like they're doing yeah. just fine. Exactly. But when it comes to goaltenders, um, you know, they've drafted one goalie in the first round in their entire history, and it was Mark Denis. It went well. He was a long-time starter. He played 300 somebody some else games. it went well. Yeah. It's about the point, <laughs> but it went well. They yeah. got it right. They got an NHL guy out of him, and right in this range of the draft, too. So, yeah. You know, yeah, I'm I mean, just, and that seems to be – that, that has – that has been kind of one of the bugaboos of the of the Avalanche's history, right? They they don't draft and develop their own goaltenders, and that that goes back years. And I, like I think I I I a believe I was a believer in Anunin. You know, I liked him as a as a player and a prospect and everything like that. Like I was like, hey, he's maybe got one of the best chances of of the guys they've taken over the years. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other players in there that you know, just haven't panned out. So yeah, so I mean, like that's the thing is like, you know can you get a goalie of the future at 28 potentially? But I mean, the risk is just so darn high with those guys. I mean, I can't tell you definitively that Michael Robb is going to be an NHL player, but I mean, I think that he has the package in this and the, you know, the upside to certainly get there. It's going to be up to them to get it out of them and up to him to get it out of himself as well. And I would, uh, I would also in this conversation say, again, this is largely driven by the fact that they have one pick. And so if you are going to keep that pick and you're really trying to take a big swing on it and not just play it really safe uh, and just try to get a depth forward out of it, you know, a guy that's going to be maybe on your second or third line in the NHL, is it not more valuable if you're just trying to take a home run swing here to go ahead and try and get a starting goaltender versus, again, a, a, we've talked about these defenders in this class. It's not a very good class at the, in the first round in this range of the draft. We're talking about second, third pairing guys here. If we're dreaming on them a little, and depth forwards. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I think yes, there's some. I mean, I think every team is going to say we just want to make sure we get an NHL player out of our first round pick. You know, we want to make sure, especially those late picks, we want to get a guy that's going to play for us. And that's the reason why we don't see as many goalies because they have a huge miss rate on top of you know that that and that's that's the question but yes in theory 
if you have confidence in your goaltending development pipeline, if you have confidence in the path that the player is taking and you have enough confidence in the ability that they've shown so far, if you feel like you can get a number one goaltender, absolutely. That makes sense. If you, if you're convinced that you have the, the, the tools to put it, and I'm not saying that you have to say this guy's absolutely going to be an NHL goalie. Um, because I, I think nobody can say that definitively. So they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, I think in theory, the, the more valuable thing, you know, Hey, maybe get a third line center or a third line wing, or maybe a, a number five or six defenseman or, or something like that. Yeah. Starting goalie is, is, is infinitely more, um, uh, more valuable. It's just, it's been proven over time that it's really hard to pick those kind of players out at the right time. Um, and then, you know, do all the, do all the stuff necessary to get them to the next level. So from a value standpoint, what would you consider a success with a, a late first, the aspect of 27 is any NHL or at all from that pick a success, or is there a certain level that they really should be hitting? I, I mean, I think, you know, ideally, Everyday NHLer, um, you know, with with with, you're looking at that point at scoring depth at you know a guy that can play on special teams, a guy that is going to have a role, a defined role within the team. Um, you're hoping that it's not a player that's kind of that AHL NHL tweener. Um, you're hoping that you have a player that is, um, you know, that 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 is in your, that is always in your lineup and you know as you as we find you know the 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 further you get away from first. First overall, the the precipitous drop is dramatic, you know, and so the the odds of you finding an everyday NHLer at 28 or in the in the back half of the draft is is pretty low. I mean, there are plenty of late first round picks that you never hear from again. It's happening less frequently, though. I think most teams, though, would say yes. If we have an everyday NHLer out of this pick, we will feel that we've we we were successful. The other thing that you also evaluate is who else went, who went after, who went after those guys, who was still on the board, who did we pass over and why did we pass over them? So, you know, there's, there's very, very, very many ways to evaluate how you did at the draft. But I think that, you know, if you get an NHL player out of a late first, you're feeling pretty good. Yeah, I just, uh, when I think about recent drafts and guys that I really liked at the end of first rounds, guys like John Beecher and Ryan Suzuki, and I'm looking at where those guys are right now, and I'm just like, would I rather have that guy in Colorado's system or take a chance on a starting goaltender? Yeah. I guess I guess for me, I've just talked myself into it where I'm like, logically, I'm, I'm approaching this and saying, okay, I've got this pick that I don't think is going to – it has a low chance to turn out at all. And if it does, if it does turn out a guy, it's more than likely going to be a depth guy. Right. Those are usually pretty easy and cost efficient to find around the league. If you really need to, like if you're really desperate for it, you could find those guys. Uh, The starting goalie just and especially because whatever whatever the abs are scouting at the goaltending position the last few years sure seems to be working, at least on the pro side. Now, on the the amateur side, I know it's a little different when you're talking about draft and develop, but the organization got something out of Jonas Johansson. Um, you know, they, they pluck Alexander Georgiev out of, out of New York and get a great starting season out of him. You know, they go into Europe and get Pavel Francouz several years ago who came over. It just seems like whatever the abs are doing at the goaltending position and what the, whatever traits they're identifying in guys seems to be pretty consistent because not all, it's not like they're all big guys or they're all really athletic guys. It's guys of all different sizes with different styles, different techniques, 
So to me, I'm just looking and saying, uh, I feel like that's an area I have confidence in what the organization is valuing. Uh, and I'm trying to talk them into valuing <laughs> a goalie at 27, I guess. Uh, if they, if they, if they look at him and say, we like this guy. If he's like 34 on their list, dude, just do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's what it comes down to is what does their list look like? What is that going to be? And yeah. and who is you know? Because I think at the end of the day, especially at 28, you're just going to say who's the who's the next guy on our list. And you structure your list in a way to say, okay, is there are there some positional needs that we can address here? Is this a guy we can value a little bit more? You know, that happens too, but. But yeah, I mean, I think for them, it's it's just going to be a matter of you know going off the off the board and that they've that they've created and you know if you feel like it's close, you know maybe you do make that decision and say let's go for the goalie and let's go for let's take a shot here. But um, but you know there's also the possibility that a goalie goes earlier than any of us expect. That's never it's not out of the realm of yeah. possibility. So. Um, you know, sometimes that decision can get made for you before you even have a chance to pick. After after the Chinikov thing a couple of years ago, I'm yeah, that one was I'm crazy. As soon as we get to pick twenty, I am fully braced for anything to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know anything anything can and will happen. With Yarmo up there, you never yeah. know. Yeah, but uh, on our draft board, AJ, who's your number one Breck Brew? Strawberry Sky. There you go. Strawberry sky. I know vanilla Porter's got to be in your top three also. It is. Uh, I'm the simple man. I get my meat and potatoes, avalanche amber myself, but you can go get yourself some Breckenridge brewery at your local liquor store. They're in all 50 United States. Use the Breck brew beer locator at breckbrew.com to find it near you or come down to the bar where we have eight different kinds on tap and make sure you're looking good when you roll in with shady rays, uh, wet, wrong read, illegal Pete's. Make sure you're full when you get down to the bar. Get yourself a delicious burrito. Uh, Happy hour from 3 to 6 p.m. There's one just a couple blocks from the bar if you want to hit that one up. Ten locations in total in Colorado to get all of the stuff you need for lunch or dinner. I I don't know. This is such an easy one for me because I love burritos. Like You cannot go wrong with a burrito and illegal pizza are delicious. So just go eat a burrito and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Check out illegal pizza today. Third period of the DNBR Avalanche podcast here with Chris Peters. Going to put you on the spot a little bit. Who are the Avs taking? <laughs> a little bit. Just a little. Just I know little. there's 45 guys you could pick from right here. but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there there really are a lot of players. Um, you know, I think in terms of the way things have shifted here in the last few months, um, you know, and, and, and how boards move up and down. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to, it's kind of tough to, to say, um, you know, I think there are going to be some, some really good players in the range. Um, you know, some guys that I think they're, you know, will be, um, intriguing to them. Um, you know, like just kind of going off of, you know, the board that I've been working on and will be coming out in the very near future, you know, just some names that are kind of in the range there, you know, that, there's there's a chance you could see a Quentin Musty there. He's not necessarily the fastest guy, but he's got size. He's you had a really good year in Sudbury. Um, there's a chance that he's he's around. David Edstrom is a guy that really um, it, it can't kind of came up 
and and burst onto the scene at the world under 18s and now teams are much more interested in him um he's got size he can skate pretty well he made a lot of plays you know just showed a lot of uh upside that you know potentially could be there but you know what just since since uh you know, we're on here and, and we've been talking about it and AJ's, you know, trying to talk everybody into it. I'm not going to talk <laughs> them out of it. And we'll just, we'll just, we'll just give you her We'll just give you her and say, you know, Hey, forget about it. Cause I mean, the thing is too, is like, as I'm, you know, you start talking about certain guys, like guys like Edstrom, I'm really excited about, you know, that if you, that's a guy that's there in 28, I'd rather have that than, you know, I, I think there's a, a stronger likelihood that he's going to be an impact guy down the road or if Daniel boot is still there, you know, the size that he brings to the table and his scoring ability, um, you know, that that's, that's a really attractive commodity as well. But, you know, Harabal has so many tools and upside and yes, it's a humongous risk to take, but it's not completely outlandish to do it at that range. I mean, and 27th pick, is it really a humongous risk? Is, is anything really a humongous <laughs> risk at 27? Not really. I'm well, I mean, it, I still think picking a goalie in the first round is, you know, like I just, cause it just, there's, you don't want to miss on a first round pick. You know, you don't want to totally. have a guy that you could just completely miss on. And the miss rates for goalies is just higher than it is for any other position. Is, is the highest risk for the abs, maybe just keeping the pick at all. <laughs> yes. I mean, it could, it could be, yeah, it could be, you know, I think that there are opportunities and especially on draft day, the value of those picks go up when there's a player that the, that the team desperately wants to get. And they're still there. And, you know, they're honestly, there's a real opportunity there for Colorado to trade back into the second round yeah. and still get good value. I mean, you know, the, all the all the models would, would tell you, you know, unless if you're a team, unless you are desperate for a player, you're pretty competent, you, you know, you should trade down. You should trade down and get the get more picks, get two prospects, especially for the team that's kind of in the in the hunt right now. And then you look. You know, if you as you look at the draft board and you look at various teams with many second round picks, you know, like maybe Chicago wants to get up back, back in another pick in the first round. They already have two. Maybe Detroit wants to get in there. They've got many second round picks, you know, so that's those are the teams. I think Chicago has like four. Detroit has like three or four. You know, like it's crazy um, the amount that that they have. And so, you know, getting more draft capital is another way to maximize your value. And on that note you can still probably get one of those goaltenders. You know, you still probably would yeah. get one of the top guys. If it's not Hrabble, it could be Guyon, it could be Bart Bjarnason, it could be Trey Augustine, Jacob Fowler even later. You know, like, you never know. So there's a lot of good opportunity there, and and there are going to be options at this draft. I think there are teams that have to clear cap space. There are teams that have to make other decisions. Um, you know, there are going to be the, the way the board shakes out can really change the dynamic of a first round and a, of the trade market. So um, anything is possible at this point, and I think everything should be on the table for the Avalanche right now. Are there? Uh, I know we're winding down here in a minute, but uh, are there some guys in this range that you like maybe more than other people do that uh, we should we should put eyes on and start uh, giving extra consideration to? Yeah, I mean, I think the guy that I like is a late first that I think a lot of people have more as a second rounder. Um, is Gavin Brindley from the University of Michigan. He's uh, a bit on the smaller side, but he's an absolute spark plug player, high motor. Um, you know, he can score. He gets in on the heart. Uh, he gets in hard on the four check. Um, you know, he he played alongside Adam Fantilli this year. He got kind of moved around a little bit. And, and whatever line he was on was one of, 
Michigan's best lines. I mean, even, even at times, like when he was away from Fantilli, I think he was playing with TJ Hughes and maybe Rucker McGordy at one point. And those guys were dominating shifts. And, and a lot of it had to do with, with Brindley's speed. And if you watch the world juniors this year, Brindley had this just incredible motor that made him so effective on the PK um, down the lineup. So, you know, he's a guy that the, the risk factor is there because of the size, but I think because of the speed, the tenacity, and then the offensive capabilities that he does have, he's a player that I would start thinking about a little bit more in that range. And especially a team like Colorado that plays fast, that has guys that can play with pace and you want pace throughout your entire lineup. Like they have, you know, so I think that having a Brindley, he's probably down your lineup, but he's making an impact in a secondary way for you. Brindley always reminded me a little of Jameson Reese from a few years ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. That mm-hmm. motor, that try hard. And I know that the abs were um, pretty big fans of him. So yeah, I liked Reese a lot too. That's uh that's a that's an interesting uh, it's an interesting name to start us off with because that's a guy that I was very I've always been very lukewarm on him because I want to know uh, I didn't get to see very much of him away from Vantilli so mm-hmm. um, that's my yeah and he didn't he didn't his numbers weren't amazing away from yeah. Vantilli like that's the other thing is like he didn't have he wasn't scoring goals at that point but you know I think that he just impacted the game in so many ways that's really been the thing for me is that while the numbers weren't spectacular, they were pretty good. We are a little over a month from the draft. The NHL combine starts the first weekend of June. Obviously there's risers and fallers, but how much does a draft draft list change from today to draft day? I think most of it will be very incremental at this point. What will, what will change it is when they go through their interview process at the combine, if there are medical issues that crop up at the combine and not, it's not always like, you know, we've heard hear about guys that have, you know, had their heart checked and the, there's, there's a heart defect or something and they can't, you know, it happened with Martin Kaut at, at his combine. Yeah. Um, you know, there's something going on uh, physically with a player. Um, but sometimes it also comes down to physical makeup and, and like, you know, just the body, even like body fat, different things like that. They're looking at, um and and like you know musculoskeletal <laughs> whatever whatever you want to say um you know because like that that can that can make uh that can impact decisions they have you know their strength coaches and then they also have like their sport performance people looking at players but i think the interview process can move guys up and down a team's list it can get guys off of a team's list um it can make a lot of different things so the interview process is important so you will hear a little bit more about movement after the combine, but again, it's not going to be significant. These scouting meetings have mostly happened. There will be more at the combine. There will be more right before the draft. Teams will continue to tweak as they need to. Um, the Memorial Cup still has to be played, so there's a lot of different things that still have to happen before a team finalizes its list, but I think that most teams have a very good feel about what their board is going to look like, and it won't change dramatically. All right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, good. Sounds good. Chris, thank you again for coming on. If you want to tell the people where they can find all your stuff, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, guys. And uh, all of my draft coverage is on flowhockey.tv. And uh, we also have our YouTube channel set up with uh, my podcast, Talking Hockey Sense. A lot of clips there. Um, we'll also have some video scouting reports coming out very soon uh, on a number of prospects. And then, of course, my draft rankings will be. Uh, dropping on June 1st, final rankings there. 
Um, yeah, so that's that's where everything is. And also on Twitter, at Chris M. Peters. I'll be uh, in Nashville for the draft and really excited to go and, and get this thing going. So uh, it's a great time of year, and it's a lot of fun for me. Say hi to Jesse and Megan for us out there at the draft. Thank you again. Go check out, follow Chris. You can follow us, the NVR Avalanche. Uh, like and subscribe here on YouTube. We appreciate all of you, and we will be back. Well, I guess I won't be back, but the pod will be back on Tuesday. Have a great Memorial Day weekend.